Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to a fresh hour of Provocative Enlightenment. This is an hour dedicated to questioning the nature of life, of being human, of logic and reason, an hour focused on the real philosophy behind the meaning of our values and existence and how we derive these assumptions. It is an hour where we admit that our foregone conclusions could all be wrong. And in that way, truly open ourselves up to the possibility of a new kind of understanding that in some way, somehow, may indeed lead to enlightenment. Enlightenment. What is enlightenment? David Hume had this to say about human understanding. Quote, if we take in our hand any volume of divinity or school metaphysics, for instance, let us ask, does it contain any abstract reasoning concerning quantity or number? No. Does it contain any experimental reasoning concerning matter of fact and existence? No. Commit it then to flames, for it can contain nothing but sophistry and illusion. I don't know about you, but to me that sounds rather like the burning of the great library of Alexandria. If it's not in the Koran, burn it. I ask, is this enlightenment? Discard all that is not selectively favorable or objective? This is the assertion of Hume. Ayn Rand, in her philosophy of objectivism, asserts much the same. I recently had a conversation with one who holds dearly to Nietzsche and Rand, and in his predictable announcement that God is dead and objectiveness rules, well, that, that announcement resonates with many today. As I questioned this young man, he became passionately inflamed with emotion, asserting his position with ever greater and greater vigor. I pointed out that it was his his subjective feelings that gave rise to his so-called objective argument, and as such was logically in error by necessity. For how could we dismiss the world of the subjective and then use it to argue for the brand of objectivism? Where does the world of the subjective experience fit today? For enlightenment is all about a subjective experience. Much of science is devoid of this discussion, or in the alternative, attempts to singularize all of it, placing it in some mechanical, biochemical realm or with those underpinnings. In other words, you, the quintessential you, or me, or anyone else for that matter, to them is but the result of a random occurrence in nature, a pure matter of chance, and that's all there is to it. Assume that's true for a moment, just for a moment. It does not negate the subjective nature of our experience and therefore our reality and perception thereof. However, true is something I don't think really applies. Where I don't share a lot of Thomas Hobbes' general philosophy, particularly his description of the human race, I do agree with this, quote, true and false are attributes of speech, not of things. And where speech is not, there is neither truth nor falsehood. So what is this thing called human, then? Is it only random accident in a universe of possibilities? Or is there some greater creative force behind it? Obviously, I believe the latter. Indeed, in my research, uh, I have been led to believe that one could easily assemble a case 
just as uh, you might do for a courtroom, and argue the facts with the overwhelming conclusion by the average reasonable person that there is evidence for the survival of personal consciousness beyond the grave. Given this, if you will for a moment, then the next step toward understanding the human condition becomes one of why does it survive? The why will, of course, lead to the what does it do then? And so on questions. From this perspective, I believe we gain some added insight into the meaning of humanness. To that end, in weeks to come, we will be investigating the nature of consciousness and its survival beyond the grave, together with our usual epistemological inquiries, you know, those that say, what is it I can claim to know and how do I know that I know it? We shall endeavor to seek out wherever we can find them, the best experts in the various fields who can shed light on this question of human consciousness. Today's guest is just that, the best in her field. Now to our letters. Last week, while I flew home from the Hay House ICANN event in Tampa, we aired a pre-recorded show with Jay-Z Knight. And by the way, thank you to everyone that attended the Tampa event. It was truly great, and I loved meeting all of you. Now, regarding the Jay-Z show, Deidre wrote, Loved your show with Jay-Z, part one and two. I hope you have her on again and again. Janet wrote, Thank you so much for your radio show today, and all days for that matter. The interview with Jay-Z was informative and profound. It was also exactly the information I was asking my guides for. I will listen again and again. You have made a huge difference in my life, and I just wanted to say thanks to you and Jay-Z, and bless you. Well, you know, hey, we thank you for listening, Janet. Susie wrote, I love you so much, in all caps, for having Jay-Z on. Well, hey, Susie, that is really great. Although it was hard to wait for part two, she continues, it was in perfect timing. We're glad it worked for you, Susie. That's why Hay House Radio is the perfect place to stay tuned to. All right, thank you for your letters regarding our provocative enlightenment show. We received many additional letters about our show from two weeks ago when we inquired into past life hypnotic findings. But we don't have time to share but a couple of them this week. I have chosen two to share because they ask important questions. NS asked, if you don't mind, quote, if you don't mind, I would like to ask your opinion about something. First off, I should preface this by saying that your provocative enlightenment shows are superb. You handle your guests and callers with professional ease, thus making it very enjoyable and informative for the listeners. So, of course, it is the spiritual nature of your guests that spurs my question. Many years ago, about 35, if I remember correctly, my mother and I decided to see if we could do a little spiritual cage rattling. We decided to use a card table as our means of connection to the other side. Long story short, we placed our hands on the card table, focused on raising the table and inviting a communication to take place. Well, the card table did rise from the floor, and I must admit that I was so stunned that I broke the connection and refused to try again. Whatever, whoever that we connected with was so terrifying that I felt as if my soul had been left bare for the picking. It was a dark, ominous presence that left me thoroughly shaken. What do you make of such a situation? Well, the bottom line is, I, too, have had a similar experience. Most do not wish to acknowledge this so-called dark side, if you will, to the other side. 
Still, there are many reports, including the one made famous by the movie The Entity, in which it is clear that everything on the other side is not necessarily hunky-dory. Our guest today may shed some additional light on that, but we'll have uh, a special show on just this sort of thing in the future. Now, Janice wrote, I called in to today's radio show and asked about orbs, and then asked if we live past lives simultaneous to present lives, and your guest said no. I totally disagree. I like very much the concept that past, present, and future are all happening at the same time, and that there are portals to different dimensions all right here on Earth. Earth is not by any means a unidimensional place. What do you think? Well, Janice, I think that's a very interesting question. But is it a real possibility? I don't consider myself qualified to answer this one, but we're scheduling an expert who claims he can. As they say on Fox News, we'll report, you decide. If you have a question and you like the answer, then be sure and write me. And remember, if I read your letter on the show, we'll send you a signed copy of Choices and Illusions. You can leave your comments on eldentaylor.com and or join me on Facebook and drop me a note from there. Okay, I know what I think about all this. What do you think? What, what are your ideas and your questions? We want your input. Join us in the chat room or call us on our toll-free number, 1-866-254-1579. And international callers can dial the country code, then 760-918-4300. Now, my guest today is Diane Archangel. Diane is a former hospice chaplain, psychiatric hospital therapist, and director of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Center. Diane was... uh, Certain that visitations from beyond death provided comfort and hope for loved ones while still grappling with their loss. As a researcher, however, she was unable to find specific data to measure that comfort and hope. To remedy this lack of information, she created the Afterlife Encounter Survey, a five-year international survival study. Her book, Afterlife Encounters, reveals the results of this landmark study, and for the first time, offers a systematic categorization, I'll get it out here, of such encounters, explaining when these encounters are most likely to occur and what type of apparitions is likely to appear. Diane presents all new first-hand accounts from individuals who've experienced visitations from the dead. As such, she presents not only the data, but also the stories behind the numbers. Among those stories are amazing accounts of the dead returning to tell loved ones that they have been murdered and who it was that killed them, apparitions revealing where family treasures were buried, even one spirit who provided a remarkable account of the tragedies of 9-11, weeks before those events occurred. I love her work, and I have enjoyed speaking with her in the past. I know she is working on a new television project, and maybe we can talk about that a little as well. I must admit to all of you out there, uh, my very first question to her when I spoke to her initially was, is Archangel your real name? Her answer was an unhesitating yes. All right, imagine the probability of that coincidence. Diane Archangel, welcome to Provocative Enlightenment. Well, thank you so much, Eldon. I am tickled to be here. 
For one, it's your research is absolutely fascinating to me. And then secondly, I love Hay House. Really tickled to be here. That's great. We're, we're truly honored and love to have you with us. Why don't we just start right out for our listening audience and, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got started doing this afterlife research. Oh, my goodness. I actually began as a brand-new six-year-old. Uh, it was right after my first uh, six. Uh, first, well, I'll get out in a minute. <laughs> my sixth <laughs> birthday, I started school for the first time in the first grade, and our teacher asked us to say something about ourselves and what had happened over the summer. And a little boy in the front seat was jumping up and down, jumping up and down. He wanted to tell the story about his grandpa, who he said had, quote, kicked the butt bucket, and had come to visit him. The teacher really scoldingly told him to sit down and be quiet and don't be silly and so forth. He was so downtrodden that I made sure at lunch to talk to him and ask him about what happened. And that night when I went home, I mean, it was just a really quick story about how he had seen his grandpa and his grandpa had told him everything would be fine and he was there to, to oversee everything in his life. That night when I went home and I was telling my parents about it, my dad told me the story about my Uncle Harry and how they had gone to the Chicago World's Fair and how my Uncle Harry had talked to a fortune teller who told him what they thought was a ridiculous story about his wife and son. Actually, Ellen, it was true. My Uncle Harry, this was uh, not my my uh, biological Notice he was married into the family. Not right. any of them knew that my Uncle Harriet had a first wife. She had killed herself and taken the baby with her. Mm. No one knew this. After they had gone, they'd left the Chicago's World's Fair and had gone, driven all the way back to Michigan that night. The next morning, my Uncle Harry brought my dad over. They went down into the basement, and down in the very bottom of an old trunk, was a, just this old yellow-brown overtime envelope. They pulled it out, and here was a locket. In that locket was a hair, which belonged to the baby, and the photograph of my Uncle Harry's first wife. And he told my dad the story of what had happened and that it was true. My dad said, Honey, you see, we don't know what happens after death. We absolutely can't say for sure. Did your Uncle Harry really have an encounter with his wife? We can't say for sure. What's important is that your Uncle Harry got his life back. Before then, he had been downtrodden. He had been moping around. Nothing was ever funny. My dad said, you see him now. He comes in laughing and whistling and joking and said he completely changed his life by that encounter. He said, that's what's important is what we do with the things that happen to us. That started at Eldon. <laughs> That's a marvelous, a marvelous mission. story. Uh, it, it, you tell us a little bit. That the lines are lighting up. We have a lot of phone calls, right. and, and I want to get to those. And the chat room is full too. So I'm going to hurry along a little bit and tell us what your study, how you conducted the study, what the study is, and why it is so unique. I'm going to move you right there if I can, Diane. All right. Can Can I say first? Let's Let's define what an afterlife encounter is because sure, so many people sure, don't please. understand okay. what that is. It's any sense of being connected to or in the presence of a discarnate personality. Any sense means we can see them, we can hear them, and so forth. The study that I did, this five-year international afterlife encounter study, as you mentioned before, it was something that we knew they were comforting, 
but we didn't have any scientific data. No research had ever been done. So I did this five-year study, and I focused on, first of all, grief. Did it help with grief? Did it not? Second of all, did it bring comfort? If so, to what degree? And what we discovered was the participants said, which over 6,000 people took the survey, they said it did not extinguish their grief, but what it did was it helped them carry the burden of the load. As far as comfort, and when we rated the comfort, we looked at it during the experience, after the encounter, a week after the encounter, a month after encounter, and so forth, and went right down. Some of these people, it had been 50 years since their encounter, and yet they still rated them on the highest scale. The scale was zero, meaning no comfort. Ten was the highest. Most of them rated it between eight and ten on the highest level of comfort. Don't you think that's possibly uh, due to the fact that Having that kind of uh, experience also defines or, or or gives purpose to our own individual existence, places hope in, in the face of certain death. I, I totally agree with you. It does give us hope. It gives us hope. It gives us comfort. And a word that you've used before is enlightenment. All right. Let's take a phone call. Exodus in uh, Lake Forest, California, I guess it is. Um uh, you're on the air with Diane Archangel. Uh, we're discussing her book, Afterlife Encounters. You have a question. Uh, yes. Hi, Diane. Hi, Eldon. Thanks for taking my call. Um, by the way, Exodus is my real name, too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I love it. <laughs> anyway, um, I, you know, on a, on a more sober note, my uh, mother passed away um, May 1st of this year of a sudden death. And I've got two other siblings. I'm the oldest and only girl. And I'm a little upset that she hasn't appeared to me. Um, she's appeared to both my brothers in, in dreams. And yet I've, I've even, like, tried to uh, meditate and ask her to just, you know, let me know if she's okay. Um, any type of contact. Um, and, and I just haven't, it hasn't happened. I'm finding that I feel really... Um, like, almost she doesn't think I'm worth it, or I, I just don't I, don't, I mean, I couldn't possibly know what she's feeling at this point, but do you have any insight as to why that happened? And actually, there's one entire chapter of my book that focuses on why do some people have encounters but not others, and without an extended period of time of sitting and talking with you, I can't say definitively exactly why, but there are so many features as to an afterlife encounter, why they visit, why they don't. For instance, grief, if we're just so burdened with grief, they're so used to positive energy that they want to be very careful in. It's difficult for them to reach anyone who's in heavy, heavy grief. In other words, it's personality type. It could be your personality type, which the interesting thing to me about personality type is that we can always change our personality types to some degree. So if we can get in and we can study those who have afterlife encounters and those who don't, then we can begin to make this shift more to, to become more of their type to where we're more open to these experiences. But, you know, without sitting down and really talking with you and going through these things, you know, I can't say exactly why. Um, I'm absolutely sure it's not because she doesn't feel you're worthwhile or valuable. I mean, anything like that. 
Well, there is um, one thing I just wanted to ask you, too, real quick, is I do feel like an ongoing conversation in my head with her. Um, and I don't know if it's just me acting out of grief or if they communicate in that way. They do come in fact, exactly. Many people say when we talk about they've communicated, they say that it's it's in they say I can hear their voice, but it's not an external voice. Many people right. say it's in my mind. I can read them in my it's much like you think about someone and then the telephone rings and that person's there. It's like you've yes. connected with them psychically. That's 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 the only connection I get is an ongoing conversation. I think, Am I losing my mind or is this real? Um, it truly, you know, the things she says are things that she would say had she been here, um, but it's just weird. Yes, it is. It takes some getting used to. Well, um, I guess that's all I wanted to know. And well, thank, thank you for your call, Exodus. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Uh, let's take another call. Jen in Florida, you're on the air with uh, Diane Archangel. Hi, how are you guys doing? Hi, Wonderful. how are you? Good, thanks. Um, my mother has recently passed as well, and um, I was wondering if they're, my dad is taking it extremely hard. And um, just like the other lady that was just on the phone, I've had similar situations in the last couple months where I feel like I can hear her in my head, and my husband thinks I'm crazy. So I stopped mentioning that to him, but my dad has been really grieving very hard and very heavy. They've we're just very much joined at the hip. Is there anything I can do for him to be able to connect with her? Because he, that's one thing he's having a hard time with. He's, he was looking everywhere, hoping that maybe she would have left a letter or some kind of something behind. And, um, you know, he's just is looking for something. Yes. Well, the main thing in connecting is uh, if, if, he can, if he can be supported in his grief, that makes a huge difference. Social support especially you being there and allowing him to grieve and work through that. It, it, again, it goes back to there. The other side is used to positive energy. And the mm-hmm. more that we can help them work through their grief to where they can feel something else, to where they're open psychically, that's the, the, the absolute best state to be in for an afterlife encounter is one of curiosity. That is, if you can ever pick one state that you want to be in, to have an afterlife encounter, that's it. It's curious. Like to, to lay down, have you ever, like a child, lay down and look at the clouds and watch different things come and form? Like that's a dog, that's a squirrel, that's a, a reindeer. That's the state that you want someone to be in to have an afterlife encounter. It's just incurious. What's going to happen? Will she visit? What will she say to me? And when someone is grieving very heavily, they can't reach that state. Okay. So just Thank kind of you for your call. Help, I'm sorry, Jen. Go back. ahead. Did you have something else? No, that was it. Yeah, just, so All Jen, right. just the more that you can support him through his grief work, the better. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Diane, we, we have lots of phone calls and many questions coming out of the chat room. but And there are several things that I still want to get back to you on your studies so that everybody understands that what we're talking about, for all intent and purposes, uh, has some real validity to it. This isn't this. This is not just ghost stories per se. Um, so when we come back from the break, I'm gonna 
I'm going to monopolize some of your time, ask you a couple of very direct questions about your study, uh, research, and then we'll go back to taking the calls. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. My guest today is Diane Archangel. We are discussing the afterlife and her research. You can follow her links under Provocative Enlightenment on eldentaylor.com to her books, website, and more. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Confusion. Deception. Manipulation. Feeling a bit controlled. Lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. Before we get back to today's show, I want to remind you that the free InterTalk MP3 files that I told you about in our last live show are on my InterTalk website, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K dot com. You can go there. They're on the left-hand navigation, and you can download those. We've got some uh, comments there. I, I wanted to clear that up. Okay. Now, if you just joined us, my guest today is Diane Archangel, and we're talking about afterlife encounters. But what we're doing is we're really talking about a five-year study that involved reports from over 16,500 uh, individuals, documented cases, and how people reported uh, encounters with uh, the afterlife. Uh, Diane, so that you know everybody has clear in their mind what it is that you have here, what what makes this study so unique, and why it is so powerful, and why it is, for all intent and purposes, uh, forgive the proverbial nail in the coffin, but it, it is indeed. Um, evidentiary of an afterlife. Tell us about that. Yes, it is. It is evidence. And and Ellen, as, as you mentioned before, this study for me had nothing to do with survival. This was about how it affects us, how it affects the person who has these afterlife encounters. But what we found was during the study was, yes, it was evidence. Eight percent of the people were not even bereaved during the study. Eighty-two percent of respondents were not longing for anything like an afterlife encounter. And so they said, 
it had nothing to do with longing or hallucinations, which most theorists say, well, afterlife encounters are just to breathe. They're hallucinating. But that couldn't be so with the data that we found. And 28% of the survey respondents hadn't even had anything close to an afterlife encounter, and yet they said that they had had an intense and extended longing for years and years to have one, and yet they didn't. So that, to us, that was strong, left a strong body of evidence that, yes, there is afterlife. You know, now, when you say that, uh, I, uh, my own research in NDEs and OBEs and things of this nature, when you come on to a piece of evidence such as, uh, you know, the out-of-body experience that an individual has in a near-death experience, they're clinically dead, they're, they're defined to be dead, the sheet is pulled over them, uh, and then hovering up there they see, uh, as Dr. John Lermer uh, once uh, accounted or uh, told me, uh, a quarter on top, high on top of the machine. And later, uh, after this is uh, this information is shared with the physicians and this person recovers from this death experience, I'll put that in quotation marks, they climb up and they see there is this dusty quarter right up on top where this person said it was. It's been there for years. Now, to me, see, that that's a kind of evidence that says, it cannot be explained in any other way short of consciousness being out of the body. Now, you have had stories, uh, reports yourself, uh, of these kinds of incidences that, that, as a result of your research, share one or two with us, would you please? Oh, all right. I certainly will. Well, one, one story, and it, it's in the book, and I'm going to tell just very briefly, but it's, it's one of my favorite because it's with Beverly, a mother whose son was murdered. And now the police came out and said, we are really sorry this is going to be a cold case because his body was, was, was moved. So when we found him, we have no idea, we have no crime scene, we have no witnesses, we have no suspects. So this will surely be a cold case. Early one morning after Tommy's funeral, that was the son, Tommy came to his mother and said, Mom, Mom, get up, hurry, 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 go to, and he told her the exact location, I think St. James and Charles Place. He said, you will find my blood in the snow, but you've got to go now because it's going to melt. Beverly had never been to this location before. I believe it was in Brooklyn. Didn't know anything about it. She knew it was a bad part of town, but her son told her to go, so she was going. She ran downstairs. Family said, you're nuts. No way. You're not going. You're crazy with grief. She went, took her family, and there exactly where Tommy told her there was blood in the snow. And she said, now, Diane, I couldn't call the police and said, hey, my dead son just told me where to find his blood. They would have locked me up. <laughs> so she said, instead, I said, there was an anonymous tip. So I came to check it out, and sure enough, there's blood in the snow. The police went out. They did an investigation, and Eldon, sure enough, that was Tommy's blood and they found three eyewitnesses who told Beverly exactly what had happened, that Tommy was murdered, oh, sadly, for his wallet and ring. But he was chased around and round and round the van. Then they threw his body in, then drove him to the police station and left him inside the van. So that was the story. And had Tommy not gone to his mom and told her what happened, they would never have known, probably, because it was a cold case. Yeah, and, and again, you get, you know, that that is precisely the kind of evidence that we would go into a court of law with and convict a person 
uh, maybe even sentenced to death in some states. And and it is the kind of evidence that a lot of naysayers would say, uh, well, you know, that's just, uh, you know, an anecdote. Uh, I, I don't know how they do that because it, it, the evidence is just so overwhelming. But let's, okay, I wanted everybody to understand that this this study of yours is indeed significant. It is unique. It is this is a scientific study. the The data is uh, absolutely overwhelming, and and everyone should go out there. and I, I just encourage you go out there and get Diane's book, Afterlife Encounters. Uh, read more about this. Let's let's take some calls. Or I guess I, they're they're stacked up on me now, Diane. <laughs> the chat room and the phone room. So I'm going to jump to the chat room because I haven't given them any. Attention yet. Terrific. Sylvana says, do you have to ask a medium to contact somebody who passed, or can we ourselves contact them, and how? We ourselves can contact them, and I believe her question is, do we have to tell, would you repeat about the medium again? Sorry. Yeah, it says, do you have to ask a medium to contact uh, the person that's passed over, or can we ourselves contact them? Right. That's what I wanted to pick up with the question about the medium, because a very, very important thing for anyone who's going to go see a medium is never divulge any information. In fact, I go to the streams. I have researched thousands and thousands of mediums. I use a phony email address. I send a money order with a phony name. They have no idea who I am. And even for someone who is very private, who's just back in the woods, I suggest you do the same thing. Give the medium absolutely no information whatsoever. So that not, well, for your peace of mind, so that if you do have a genuine, authentic medium, and that medium gives you information, and there's a story in my book about how I went to see George Anderson. I didn't go to see him. We, we met, and he gave me a reading. And my own mind, after sitting through thousands of these phony readings, is I tried to put a box. I tried to make it my own mind understand that he was with my mother, that he was discerning my mother. And I kept thinking, how did he find this information about me? Now, what he was telling me, there's, it's not public knowledge. There's no way he could have known that. But I tried to, so for your own protection, for your own peace of mind, that's the one thing I give very little advice, but one advice that I do give is to be sure and not divulge any information at all so that if you happen to get hit upon an accurate medium and they give you accurate information, you know without a doubt where it came from and that it wasn't, you didn't divulge that information. And that is excellent advice. Believe me, I have played those kinds of games where I'm the medium or, or I'm the the person doing telepathy and a little bit of psychology and just a couple of, of questions. The way a person walks, presents themselves, the things they say are significant giveaways. And so you're, you're absolutely right. There are people out there that will take advantage of individuals. Uh, you want to make sure that you're doing this from a genuine perspective all right let's uh let's take a phone call from nancy in greenville north carolina nancy you're on the air with diane archangel hello hi nancy um i've had and i was actually only right before my father died last year aware of three death experiences that i had where i was given a choice to live or die uh in this in-between state the the last time um, 
I was a DOA and DNR, but um, apparently my roommate didn't hand over my living will, so they resuscitated me, and my lungs collapsed in three times over. And then I was, you know, I watched myself go to the machines ICU. I had to get my mother and my younger sister from two parts of North Carolina to come sign the papers to take me off the machines because they had copies. And uh, I miraculously, within seven days, I was already out of the hospital. But the first time that I remembered, I was 19 being hit by a car in New York City. And I was hearing a voice behind me. I was in the clouds. And uh, they were like, so you want to die, huh? I'm like, what? And I'm like, no, 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 you've been thinking about it. You're not happy. And I'm like, no, I don't think I want to die. And I'm like, well, are you sure? And there's a timelessness in this experience. And I, I got silent, and they were like, okay, if you decide that you want to die, as soon as you hit the asphalt, all you've got to do is just lay there, and you are just dead. You're gone. You're out of here. And, what is your uh, question, Nancy? Well, my question is, I've, apparently I've had five death experiences in one lifetime, and I'm not even 48 years old. And somewhere between the third and the fifth death experience, I came up with a piece of material called Look at Us. And I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to share it. It's a short, this is a little piece of poetry, but it's short. No, we, we, we don't do that on the air. But what I would suggest oh, okay. that you do, Nancy, is you go to Diane's website, dianearchangel.com. Um, uh, actually, wait a minute. I'm sorry. It's Afterlife Encounters. Isn't it, Diane? That's Afterlife right. Encounters? Afterlife-Encounters.com. There we go. Dot com. Uh, right. And you can participate in some of Diane's research. She has a place there where you can uh, add information in uh, about yourself and actually participate. Uh, perhaps, you know, your stories and your information could be very helpful to uh, other individuals. Okay, let's go to line four, Joanne in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Joanne, you're on the air with Diane Archangel. Hi, Diane. Hi, Eldon. Hi. Hi. Um, my question in regard to your research, um, did you do research on orbs and colors? I have um, not, Joanne. I, I have not done research on all orbs or, or colors. The reason I'm asking is because I see them, and some people would say that they're angels. And I'm just wondering what your opinion on, on the orbs. Like if, if, you, if I was to see them as different colors or sparkles around certain people, I, um, is that necessarily angels or deceased family members? And actually, I have not done any research on orbs, and I'm not too, too familiar with them. There are different researchers who have. But, um, yeah, and I have also heard that they are entities and they're there and it's a matter of them materializing in some way. But every, all of the research that I have done has, has been more uh, 
how can we put it, uh, with afterlife encounters specifically and even with the personalities of why some people have them, why some people don't, and if it has anything to do with the other side, with the discarnates, as opposed to things with, um, like, orbs and things. I see. But my thing, let's go, can I, Ellen, can I go back to Nancy for just a minute? If, if Nancy sure. or any of you who are listeners who have had a near-death experience, I highly... Wait, wait a minute. Joanne, thank you very much for calling. You're welcome. Thank you, Joanne. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, now. I highly recommend Bruce Grayson at the University of Virginia. He has a huge, huge one of... In fact, it is the largest international near-death experience study. He is He's the man when it comes to near-death experiences. So if anyone needs help, if you want to participate in research, if you have any questions... Bruce is the man. All right, good. Uh, let's let's jump to a question from the chat room here. It's equal time. Uh, Dean wants to know: Do people tend to do something to bring about these contacts, or do they tend to be initiated from the spirit world? Oh, what a great question! I question. love that question, yeah. Dean. Sometimes people here do initiate them. They they can invite them in. But at other times, no, it, it, they don't even, they're not looking forward to them. Some people here, in fact, this is in my book, they didn't even know the apparition. That her apparition would appear to them, tell them to take a message to someone, and that the person here that witnessed didn't even know who that was until later, and they were able to identify. So it goes, goes both. I believe sometimes the other side initiates them. Sometimes we do. Now, Danny, out of the chat room, says, and this goes back to a comment you made earlier, do contacts with the deceased during your dreams count? They certainly do, Danny. Contact during dreams absolutely counts. Okay. Uh, let's take another call then. Carol in Colorado on line one. You're on the air with Diane Archangel. Yes. Hi, Diane. Hi. Hi, Elvin. Hi, how are you, Carol? I'm great. Um, I didn't really have a question, but I wanted to, you know, comment, and it probably goes back to a couple of callers, too, is that about uh, how we are, you know, not trained in society to understand, you know, that we do always have connections. And I want to relate a story when I was four. My mother died that year, and I was in the front yard of my house, and there were no fences or anything like that, and I saw a dog running towards my backyard, and I um, I ran as quick as I can because I was just in love with animals, still am, uh, and ran to the backyard. There was no place for this dog to go, but it was not there when I got there, and I looked around, and this voice came in my head and said, we are always here. And, you know, sometimes when you turn your head real quick and you see those little flashes or you see something going by, that's us. There's always a connection between the, between the dimensions. And I was four years old when this came to me, and all my life I've had connections. And I think we tend to, to uh, negate some of the experiences that we have because we've been so conditioned not to accept them. I totally agree with everything you just said, and may I add just a little bit to that, because, Carol, you just brought up a really important point with, with the dog. We found during research that animals, especially pets, often operate as the bridge 
between our world and theirs. Yeah. In other words, a, 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 maybe a parent wants to come visit, but the child, they know the child is going to be uncomfortable with that. So a pet will intervene, a deceased pet, a discarnate pet will uh. intervene, or an animal, because they, they soften, you know how unconditional love is, right, yeah. with our animals. Yeah. And that's what they do. They bring us unconditional love, we get relaxed, and then the mom or the dad or whomever will appear. So I love your story. Thank well, you. Thank you. Wonderful story, Carol. Thanks for sharing with us. All right. Thank you very much. You know, while we're on that point, I'll spin a personal one by you uh, because it has a question in it. I lost a dear, dear friend a few years ago, uh, a mentor, and and very, very close. Uh, He'd been burned over most of his body during the Second World War and had uh, a number of skin grafts, and because of that, he had a very peculiar body odor. After passing, there were many, many times that I was absolutely certain he was present because of that body odor. Uh, have you had that kind of a report? Absolutely, Eldon. And that's one of the things when we began and we said we defined what an afterlife encounter was and it's any mm-hmm. sense of being connected. And that any sense, part of that is olfactory. In fact, there's a story in the book about the young girl who, who smelled this. Uh, she said it was like, a, um, what is that, donuts? The right. sweet donuts, and she knew without a doubt that her fiance, who died many years earlier, had died. And that's just like with you, the olfactory. Oh, that's one way that we can pick it up faster than just about anything. And no, without a doubt, why other would that that aroma or that odor be there? All right, let's get another call or two in here before we run out of time. Melissa in Washington, line five. You're on the air with Diane Archangel. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Hello. Thank Hi, you. Hi, Melissa. Hey. Um, this is my first time calling, so I'm a little nervous, but um, I just lost my dad in May, and um, sorry. <laughs> um, him and I had a discussion before he passed. I said, Dad, you know, one time just please give me a sign, just anything. Let me know that you're okay over there, you know? And I was told, you know, like, putting putting drug coins and stuff was, like, a sign. And I find coins all the time. And we've lost, we've lost three people in our family now, just within the past couple of years. And um, actually, I had my my great-grandmother now has kind of had a, a stroke just a few days ago, and they're not expecting her to live. And I was always finding just three coins at a time. And now I'm finding four. Uh-huh. And I'm just, I'm wondering if, you know, because my great-grandma always has said since she, my, her husband passed that she could see him. And he's waiting for her. And she still speaks in that, well, not since the stroke, but in, in very vivid dreams of that, of him waiting for her. And I just, I wondered if there was any, you know, because I, I want it. I have, I've been absolutely almost obsessed with trying to find a connection with my dad. Yes, and actually, Melissa, several stories in the book are about coins. They say coins from heaven or pennies from heaven. And mm-hmm. that, that's one of the normal ways. Coins are found that would not ordinarily be there on golf courses or drag strips or just in the most unusual places. And as far as the waiting part with your grandmother, uh, one thing is that we never die alone. Someone is always there to welcome to the other side. 
So, and one thing that we always found in hospice was that when a patient began to tell us that they saw their mom, they saw their dad, they saw their whomever, and we knew that that person was deceased, we immediately, the social workers, the doctors, the nurses, the chaplains, that patient became top priority because we knew that they were working into their final transition, that they were soon going to begin to actively die. So the fact that she's seeing him more and more and more often says, yes, she's she's working on her final transition. And she, she actually I mean, told my brother that she had a very you know, dream and asked, you know, her God to her, you know, why won't you let me die so I can be with my husband? And because they were, you know, together forever. And in her dream, she was told that she had a job to do first. And our family has a lot of issues and a lot of fighting. And it was her job to fix us, you know, get us all back together first. Oh, and before she could go, you know, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Poor lady. <laughs> How profound, right? Yeah. So yeah, just... very profound. Thank you very much for sharing, Melissa. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Melissa. Diane, we have, uh, you. well, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to <laughs> tell everybody how they can, they can contact you and make sure, you know, what is the bottom line message we should take out of this? Oh, the bottom line message is that, um, oh my goodness, there are so many bottom line messages that really, and it's, it's much of what you say, Ellen, is that what, how we perceive things, is, means a great deal of getting us through life. It's not what happens to us. It's what we do with it. And people can reach me through afterlife-encounters.com. And I would be happy to it. take any questions, read any stories, or if they can reach me through the website. You've been listening to Diane Archangel. I love her book. It's Afterlife Encounters. We have some links at eldentaylor.com. We just lead you all through the path so that you can get directly a hold of her. Uh, I take out of all of this, of course, hope. Hope means that, you know, we are more than just some meat machine uh, taking up space on a planet and destined to uh, dust to dust, I guess. Be sure and join us next week when my guest is the renowned scientist, Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. Until then, to thine own self be true.